Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it often casts him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Righto, today we're going to be talking about praying in faith and what it really means to pray in faith. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. And I'm not going to go into that verse too much now because I want to leave that until we actually get to it in a few weeks' time. Uh, but based on a few verses like that one, some people come up with a very self-centred sort of approach to prayer. And they believe that, okay, now I've got the spiritual formula for getting my prayers answered. And so we often hear it being taught, just believe that you've got it and you'll have it. Um, when you ask for something, do not entertain any possibility that you're not going to get what you've asked for, because that would be a lack of faith. And if your prayers aren't being answered, well, you've obviously got a faith problem. And there's a whole self-centred language that goes along with this kind of prosperity theology. It's a language that's not at all biblical, by the way. And it's a language that tends to put the outcome of prayer onto ourselves rather than putting prayer, the answer of prayer into the domain of God. Um, it's the language that says, I'm believing for a miracle. I'm believing that you'll have a good year this year. I'm believing for a healing. I'm believing that God is going to give me what I want. I'm believing for prosperity. I'm believing for a healing of this relationship. Um, 
Some people do try to bring God into it by saying, I'm believing God for a miracle or I'm believing God for a healing. You've heard this sort of talk? Yeah. Now, I want you to tell me, in the scriptures, what great man of God or what great woman of God prayed in that way or spoke in that way? I won't wait too long because you'll be going around in circles trying to answer that question because the answer is no one. In fact, you can, you can do a type, type that phrase into a Bible search engine, I'm believing for, and you won't find it. It doesn't come up. Nobody says it anywhere. Or you could just say, you could even leave off the I'm and go believing for or believed for, and you won't find it. It's not there. And yet very often this is what we're being told praying in faith means, to be able to say, I'm believing for this. But that's not praying in faith. It's actually more like wishful thinking. And it's actually not real prayer at all. Prayer is where we seek God and where we seek for God's will. It's where we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then God takes care of what we need. And we can have every confidence that God can and will take care of everything we need. A prayer of faith is a prayer of trust in God, and it's having confidence in the power of God, that God has the ability to complete what his will is. Even if I don't know what God's will is, and a lot of the time I won't know what God's will is. And, and even if my will is different to God's will, and a lot of the time it will be, a lot of time I'm going to find God, what God's will is actually a bit hard to accept. Even though it may be like that, a prayer of faith is believing that God has the ability to complete his will. You see, a prayer of faith, it's not a matter of me knowing what I want and then assuming that I'm so much like God that that must be what God wants too and then believing that God's going to do it. A prayer of faith should never focus on my will. It is actually to empty myself of my will and to seek the will of God and pray for the will of God and that God's will would be done. All right, so now I've given you the punchline of the message. Let's actually look at the reading. Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James and John, are coming down from having a mountaintop experience, right? They've just had this amazing encounter with God, with the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, Moses and Elijah have made a guest appearance. Um, the voice of God has spoken to them out of a cloud up on that mountain. But while they've been having this amazing mountaintop experience... In Jesus' absence, the other disciples that didn't get the invite, well, they're actually doing it a bit tough. And as Jesus comes down the mountain, he comes down to discover these big crowds around the other disciples, and the scribes are there, that's the religious heavyweights, and they're arguing with them. And Jesus rightly wants to know, well, come on, what's the problem? What's going on? And a man in the crowd steps up and he tells Jesus a story. This man's son is possessed by a demon. He can't speak and he can't hear. 
And on top of that, his condition, well, to us it sounds a lot like epilepsy, but it's not. In this case, it's demon possession. The boy has seizures. He gets thrown down to the ground. He grinds his teeth. He foams at the mouth. He becomes rigid. And sometimes he gets thrown into the fire or into the water. Um, and if any of us know anything about epilepsy, it sounds a lot like epilepsy. But it's not. In this case, he's possessed by a demon. And when the boy with the demon did come in contact with Jesus, all those things, well, that's pretty much what happened. It convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And the man says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it does all these nasty things. So, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. Isn't that interesting? This man, he brought his son to Jesus. But Jesus wasn't there. And so his disciples gave it a bit of a go. But they couldn't do it. And Jesus' answer to this, and and we're told that he answered them, right? He didn't just answer the Father, and I suspect he wasn't just answering the disciples. I suspect it was an answer to everybody there in the crowd and to us today. He said, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. You know, sort, of, sort of like, oh, I've been teaching you this all this time. Can't you do it yet? Come here, I'll do it. The problem here, though, it wasn't a problem of technique. Jesus said, you faithless generation, right? It was, the problem was faith. But as we read on, we're also going to discover it's also a source problem and a prayer problem. But let's begin with the faith problem. The man said to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus calls him out on that. If you can. If you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. If you can. I mean, how much power does God have? If only that man knew who he was talking to. The power of God is limitless. One commentary I read said that Jesus' reply does not mean that faith can accomplish anything, but that those who have faith will set no limits to the power of God. And I reckon that explains it pretty well. The fact that all things are possible for the one who believes doesn't mean that our faith can accomplish anything that we want, but that those who have faith will set no limits on the power of God for God to accomplish his will. You see, that man, he didn't have any confidence that Jesus could do it. But God has the power to do anything. Is that what we believe? Is it? Do we believe that God has the power to do anything that he wants? I'm seeing a few tentative nods. I'd like to see some big nods or, or uh, some other crowds would probably go, amen, brother, or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, Pentecostals, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we believe this, but do our prayers reflect that belief? 
Do we ask God for the big things in prayer or do we just ask him for the little things? When we pray, do we pray with a God-sized faith that God can and will achieve his will? As, as I read today's reading, I, I was struck by the difference between this man's request and the request of the leper right back in chapter 1 of Mark. Uh, the leper in chapter 1 of Mark said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Right? Now that is a prayer of faith. If it is your will, you can do this. A prayer of faith acknowledges that God has the power, but it also humbly accepts the sovereignty of God for his will to be done. Not so much ours. I'm reminded of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar threatened that, that they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar said, and he, sorry, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All right? So they testified that God is able to save us out of that fiery furnace. Even if you throw us into that big furnace because we won't bow down to your God, God is able to save us from that. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. We're still not going to worship that golden image of yours. But they also had a continuing confidence that God would deliver them, that God would deliver them out of the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. How is that going to be? If they weren't delivered out of the fiery furnace, how else would they be delivered? Well, here's the thing. Even if they died in the fire, they weren't going to be in Nebuchadnezzar's hands any longer. Sometimes... And this might be a hard thing for us mortals to accept. But sometimes God delivers us through death and resurrection. Uh, and actually it's more often than sometimes. It happens over and over again. And many people today die rather than deny Jesus. And God is rescuing them out of the hands of those who would harm them into the resurrection. But I'm also reminded of someone else's prayer, a very important prayer, and somebody who I like to model my prayer life on. That's Jesus. I'm reminded of the night that Jesus was betrayed when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but what you will. 
Wow, that is a prayer of faith. Here's Jesus. He is facing an excruciating death. And Jesus is praying, Father, all things are possible for you. I know you can do this. You can take this cup away from me. You can change things. I don't have to go to the cross. But not my will. Your will. You see, a prayer of faith knows that God's power is limitless, but it also focuses on God's will. And so there was a faith problem. The man didn't believe that Jesus could do it. And at this point, we encounter one of the most refreshingly honest statements. It's a statement which I can well identify with, and I suspect that if we were all fully honest, we'd identify with it too. When that boy's father said, I believe, help my unbelief. All right? Yeah, sometimes we just feel we don't have enough faith, do we? We've got a bit of faith, but please, God, give us a bit more faith. But isn't that such an honest statement? I want you to know, God always wants us to be honest with him. He doesn't want us to pretend that we are what we're not. And if you're having a time of faith, don't just churn it out, I believe, I believe, when you don't really believe. Be honest with God. Say, God, I believe a little bit. I've got a little bit of faith, but I know I need to have more faith. Can you develop that faith in me? And... And that man's statement, it's such a far cry from the formula, I'm believing for, I'm believing for. Instead, it's got the honesty of I'm torn. I believe, but I know there's unbelief there. Can you fix that in me, God? So that was the first problem, faith. The second problem was a problem of source. Where does the power come from? So let's read from verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Now, we don't know exactly what the disciples did to try and cast it out. But it looks like they were trying to focus on their technique Why couldn't we do it? What did we do wrong? What what do we need to do differently to be able to make this happen? And there it is, they're focusing on themselves and what they did. When that man brought his son, we're told that he wanted to bring him to Jesus. And this is something really important for us as disciples of Jesus to be very aware of. As disciples of Jesus... Those who are in need, they don't need to come to us. 
They need to come to Jesus. And I can think of a number of people who over the years have come to me looking for help with their depression or looking for help with their anxiety or looking for help in their relationship with their husband or with their wife or with their children. Or they might come to me looking for help to to give them a bit of direction in their life. And you know what? Out of all of those people who come, those who are actually looking for Jesus, well, I can help them. Because I can point them to Jesus and I can introduce them to Jesus. But the great majority of people who come looking for help, they're not looking for Jesus. They don't, they're not interested in Jesus. I'm not interested in that. I just, I just want a few pointers. Or they want me to listen to their troubles. Or they want me to give them some kind of advice that's going to fix everything in their life. And you know what? I've got nothing for them. I can't help them. But if they want to come to Jesus for help, that's when I can help them a lot because I can help them to find Jesus. And this goes for you guys as well. People might know that you're a Christian and so they might seek you out and come to you for help because they can see, hey, this person's got things together pretty well in their life. They can help me. But you need to know, unless that person is looking for Jesus... There's not much you can do for them. Don't pretend that you're a psychologist. Don't pretend that you're a financial advisor. Don't pretend. Just be honest with them. And say, hey, the only thing that I can offer you is what God can do in your life. Are you interested in that sort of help? That's all we can, that's all we can do. But here were, the, here were the disciples. They weren't thinking like this. And they thought there must have been something wrong that they did, something wrong in their technique. You know what? A lot of people have this attitude with prayer. They think, I've got to have the right technique in my prayer. I've got to get the right order in my prayer. I've got to do the right things in my prayer. Um, and sometimes they, they think it's their technique that's going to get their prayers answered. And they change their technique depending on the different circumstances, especially if it comes to spiritual warfare prayer or if it comes to dealing with demons or praying for somebody to be healed from the sick. Some people will start praying louder and with, with more authority. Some people will command. Some people will demand. Some people will talk faster. And sometimes we get it into our heads that if I can emphasize certain words then that's gonna that's gonna make my prayer more powerful I pray in the name of Jesus right we, we just add the emphasis at the right place it's it's the technique isn't it I, I pray that he will make us prosper and make us people of influence you, you know you know what I'm talking about we feel that prayer is about our technique it's not In the first book of Kings, the prophet Elijah was in opposition to all of the prophets of Baal. And they met up on Mount Carmel. And there the prophets of Baal built their altar to Baal. And the prophet Elijah built his altar to Yahweh. And they each killed their bull and put him on the altar. And, 
And then they had a bit of a competition to see which God was able to light his altar up. You know the story? Some of you do. And the prophets of Baal, they had the first go at it. And so they, they prayed and they limped around their altar, but nothing happened. And I love this bit. Elijah starts mocking them. By the way, you, you think as Christians we're not supposed to mock. Well, actually, there is a circumstance when you can mock. You can mock people when they worship an idol, okay? That's okay. All the prophets seem to do it. I love this bit. He starts mocking them. Maybe you should do it a bit louder. Or maybe your God is having a bit of a think about it. Or maybe he's gone off to the toilet. He might be doing a wee. Or, or maybe he's gone off on a journey. He might be on holidays. Or maybe he's asleep and you've got to wake him up. He's just mocking them. And so they get louder and they get louder and they start cutting themselves with swords and lances. And there they are. They're bleeding all over this place and they raved on and on and on. That's how an idolater prays. How does a man of God pray? How did Elijah pray? At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That was his prayer. And the fire that God sent to light that altar was so hot, it burnt up anything, everything around it. In prayer, getting louder, faster, using many words when a few will do. That's the way of idolatry. That's the way that the demon worshippers do it. You know what a godly prayer is like? A godly prayer is like you're talking to your dad. Because that's what God is. He's our heavenly father. You see, it's not about us. And it's not about our technique. When it comes to a ministry of any kind, there's two ways to do it. We either do it in our own strength, using our own talents and our own abilities, or we do it in the power of God. Now, some people will disagree with this, but I think it's being a realist to say that this is true. There are some things that we can do pretty much on, in our own strength. There are some things we pretty much can do. But most things of significance that God calls us to, there's no way on this earth that we can achieve them in our own strength. Because when God calls us to something, he usually calls us to something that we can't do. Because he wants to do his work through us as he does his thing to bring himself glory. Because if God just asks me, if I just do something that I know that I can do, who gets the glory? Michael. But if God asks me to do something that Michael can't do, and God does it through me, who gets the glory? God does. 
And of course, there was no way that those disciples could drive that demon out in their own strength because that is something that only God can do. Now, here's the thing. Jesus was the disciples' connection to God. But Jesus wasn't there. He was up the mountain. Their source of spiritual power had gone up the mountain. Their connection with God was gone. So how do we maintain our connection with the Lord? Well, yes, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. But how do we still maintain our connection with God? Prayer. Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The third problem they had was a prayer problem. Now, I'll tell you what prayer is not supposed to be. Prayer shouldn't just be a matter of a few words to God when we need something. You know, a lot of us, we treat, we pre treat prayer as like going through the drive-thru. Like we pull up, we wind the window down, I'll, I'll have a Big Mac and fries and a Coke, thanks. And, and then, okay, and we drive onto the next window and we get, get, get what we've ordered. And a lot of us treat prayer like that. That's not the way we're supposed to pray. We're not supposed to pray as if we pull up to God, put the window down, tell him what we want, and then move on to get it. Prayer should be like we've got God in the car with us. Because God is journeying with us through life, everywhere, all the time. And we should be talking with God throughout the day. We should be mindful of the presence of God as God is journeying with us through life. Talking to God at various times during the day, not because you've got to try and imagine that he's there, or, but simply because he is. You see, being close to God in prayer is when we experience an ongoing prayerful presence of God. And when we maintain this kind of life of prayer, wow, what a blessing it is. What, what we find is the focus of what we pray for shifts. And, and we find that we start praying for kingdom matters. We start praying for the bigger things. You see, if I treat prayer as the thing where I pull up the wind, pull up, wind the window down, tell God what I want and move on, usually I just concentrate on those things that I want, those things that, that my mind is stuck on. And I, I reckon a lot of the time God is saying, golly, I wish you'd ask for something bigger. I wish you'd ask, my, Michael, I wish you'd ask for what I want. And when we start living this prayerful presence of God and where we have this attitude of prayer during the day, you know what? You'll very quickly run out of things that you need. And you'll start focusing on God. And you'll start focusing on kingdom matters. See, praying in faith, it isn't a matter of naming what I want and then believing it's going to happen. It's maintaining a life of prayer. And in our life of prayer, we experience the presence of God. And as we get closer and closer to God, 
You know what happens? We begin to recognise the heart of God. And until, until we do that, until we begin to focus on the presence of God, you're going to have a lot of trouble knowing what God wants you to pray for. But it's no problem when you're living with the presence of God daily, all day. And as we get to know God better, our faith grows. And that's when it'll be more natural to say it and it'll be truthful to say it, Lord, I know that you are powerful enough to do anything, yet not my will, but your will be done. You know, I reckon that takes some of the greatest faith to be able to pray, not my will, but your will be done. Just like Jeremy before there was, he had no idea where he was going. He had a bit of a guess. Sometimes we can be like that in life. We don't really know what God's calling us, how he would have us serve him, what, what's the outcome of this terrible thing that I'm encountering in life at the moment. But when you've got a strong faith, you can say, Lord, not my will, but your will, and just trust. Prayer of faith is a life of prayer, knowing that the power of God is strong, it's unbeatable, and trusting for God's will to be done. Let's, let's finish in prayer, and we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer, and it'll be up on the screen there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. That, that prayer is an amazing prayer. And sometimes I think we feel we just need to add so much to it. We don't. We can fill it out and, and pray. Like I, I don't think Jesus put that as a prayer. That's the only prayer you pray. I think he gave it to us as a model. Our Father in heaven. Concentrate on, on God being your Father. And, and talk to God as though he's your Father who's caring about you and guiding you in this world. Hallowed be thy name. Give God glory because he is holy. Um, your kingdom come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. You don't have to just say those three words. You can say, Lord, I want you to bring your kingdom into this town and show me how your kingdom is going to develop here. Show me how you want me to be part of your kingdom coming. And then we praise, your will be done. Lord, in all things, not my will, but your will. All right, you get the picture? This is the way we can pray.